There are many ways people listen to Vision, including DAB Plus Digital Radio. If you're in Greater Sydney, Melbourne or Brisbane and have a digital radio receiver in your car or home, you'll find Vision Christian Radio on the station list. If you're visiting one of these cities and hiring a car, there's a good chance it will have a DAB receiver and you'll be able to enjoy vision with exceptional sound quality while you drive around. If you don't already own a DAB receiver, you'll find many models, including clock radios at electronic retailers for under $100. To find out more about vision on digital radio and whether you're within the broadcast footprint, see vision.org.au slash DAB. However, and wherever you listen to Vision, you can be sure that the announcers, programs and music will help you look to God daily. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 on Vision. As we do on a Monday, we love to catch up on the latest developments around the political agenda in the nation. Martin Niles, the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, joining us. Martin, welcome along. G'day, Neil. Good to be back again. Hey, Martin, just before we get into uh, the heavier topics, uh, how did you commemorate Anzac Day on the weekend, on Saturday? Well, here in Canberra, it was the same as everywhere else, I think. You you walk to the end of your driveway and uh, you stand. Uh, for a moment, silence, and many people had candles and lights and so on. But the beautiful thing was that somebody in the neighbourhood, and I hear that this was the case across most parts of Canberra, uh, played the last post uh, on their on their bugle. And I don't know where they were; I couldn't see them, but you could hear it. And uh, that happened right across uh, right across the ACT. So that was great, and and people really participated. The streets were full. Uh, people out on the footpath, because of course we've got the National War Memorial here. We usually have a cracker of an Anzac Day service. Um, but uh, you can't do that. But then, of course, I watched uh, both the live stream uh, from the Anzac Memorial, but also I watched a church service as well, which was an Anzac Day commemoration. So I uh, really did use the time to, to do it proper, properly, even though we're in isolation. Well done. And, uh, you know, my own personal uh, appreciation there, because uh, my wife and I stood on our balcony, uh, the one that I'm famous for waving from, and uh, and and we had a candle lit, and I had the uh, the television coverage turned up well behind us, and uh, and were able to uh, hear the service, uh, the dawn service, and uh, there were others in our street too, who were also mm-hmm. out, and uh, they were commemorating Anzac Day. Hey, let's get into some of the issues, Martin. Uh, the coronavirus app it is live, and there's encouragement for Australians to download it. Uh, it's looking like perhaps more than half of all Australians will download the app. Uh, what are your thoughts on on what's happening now? We had a we had a little discussion about this last week. We might come back to that. But what are your thoughts on the government's app? Yeah, I have mixed views on the app, Neil. I think last week when we talked about it, we were both a little alarmed because what we'd been told was that there was a tracking app coming out uh, so that the government could trace your contacts and movements in relation to their efforts to uh, get coronavirus under control. Uh, that really bothered me. I think it bothered a lot of people. I know a lot of people in the within the government, uh, in, in the parliament, were really stirred up by it. And so it was quite a a bit of an argument broke out amongst politicians and, and, and others. And, and what's happened is that the app that's ultimately been released is, if you like, a, a, a light version of a tracking app. It, uh, it collects minimal data, which is good. Um, it only knows if you come close to somebody else who has the app on their phone. So basically the two phones, you know, ping off each other and go, oh, yep, there's somebody there who has the app. 
Um, and you know, if the health authorities need to access the data, they can. There's, it's a criminal offence for somebody uh, to access the data for any other reason. And the government has pledged, you know, um, uh, to delete all data as soon as this is over. Now that's that's good, uh, but I have a. I don't have a, such a problem with, uh, you know, I've got nothing to hide in a sense, but I, I do have a problem with this idea that things are so serious that the government should be at a stage where they are. As much as it's slimmed down, they really are tracking their citizens. I mean, if enough people have the app, you can track someone's movements throughout the day because you know who contacts who and, and, or who comes near who and you can just draw a map. Um, and so I, I don't like that. I don't think that's the government's job. I don't think that in free democracies we do that lightly. Uh, and it's unprecedented uh, here in Australia. They just don't have that level of access to data and people's phones and all the rest of it. I have a huge um, principled objection to what's going on. I would understand if we were literally in the middle of uh, carnage uh, and you know there was you know such harm taking place that the government said, listen, folks, I'm sorry, this is the only way. But it's not the only way. We're getting on top of coronavirus. The cases are down to a, a tiny little trickle. Um, I think that it won't be that long before uh, things are starting to open up again, whether we've got the app or not. Um, now, unless they fear a second wave, of course, which is a, a real possibility, but you know, perhaps that's something to deal with when it happens. Um, and so I think that the circumstances don't necessarily justify it. On principle, I'm not happy with it. At the same time, I wouldn't tell everybody not to download it. I'll just say, look, it's up to you. It looks like the government's going to get the numbers anyway, uh, but it's up to you. I guess it's not an evil app, and the good thing, I think, here is that uh, when I've been hearing reports and commentary and hearing the government answering all of the questions that have been put by uh, many, many journalists about the security and the issues here about, uh, you know, invasions of privacy and those sorts of things, at least those things are being discussed up front, and it's not something that's uh, going in uh, undercover here. What are your thoughts around the fact that people have been asking the sorts of questions uh, about the privacy of the app? Yeah, I agree. I think the right questions have been asked and a good debate has been had within the government as well. Uh, and I'm glad that, for example, the question was put very strongly um, to, uh, to Stuart Robert, the minister, uh, saying, look, are you going to pledge to delete this data, make sure it is, it is completely gone and expunged from every system uh, as soon as this, this matter is over? And he has pledged to do that more than once. Uh, I understand legislation, which enshrines these promises, uh, including uh, criminal offences uh, around accessing the data, um, will be going through the Parliament as soon as they resume and sit in the next sitting week. I believe that's in May. Uh, and so those are all good questions. And I agree with you, Neil. It's not an evil app. Um, it's not. So there's, I don't believe that the government's releasing it with any nefarious intent. I think that they're releasing it with a genuine intent. They think that this is going to help them. Uh, now, you know, I've got principled issues against it, and I don't think it's I don't think it's impossible that it would end up being, some of that data would end up being compromised, but it is quite secure. Um, and uh, it's as secure as these things can be. So I agree with you, Neil. It's not, it's not a nefarious app. It doesn't have evil intent. Um, and uh, the right questions have been asked. And that's why I'd say to people, look, it's up to you whether you download it. I wouldn't push someone one way or the other. Uh, it looks like the government's going to get about 50 plus percent of people downloading it anyway. Uh, so that's uh, you know, that means that they'll get they they'll get what they want, and they won't have an excuse to drag this out any longer. 
So at the moment, it's optional, and there's talk, though, about somehow or other uh, the app being a part of a return to normal, like a prerequisite to you know getting out of some of the more harsh lockdown measures. Uh, there is some speculation, and there has been, around the idea that it could be mandatory if enough people don't download the app. What are your thoughts around the fact that it is optional and uh, and the idea that it might be a prerequisite? Because that doesn't that put real pressure on everyone to actually download the app? Yeah, I mean, that's why I say it looks like they're probably going to get the numbers they need anyway. And so uh, those who are really concerned about it should, uh, you know, there's no, I don't think there is too much pressure on them because enough people are going to do it. However, uh, if the government were to start talking about making it mandatory, that's when I'd have to say, look, let's draw the line. Uh, there needs to be a, re- a revolt against this. Fortunately, there's a lot of people within the government who have, who have made that very clear that they wouldn't tolerate that and they really would cause a stink uh, in the party room if that was something that was to happen. Uh, so that's a good thing. We've got those voices in the parliament. I don't think it should ever be mandatory. And that's, again, for a principled reason. I don't think that any government should uh, make such mandatory calls uh, to, uh, to uh, spy on people, to have access to information about people to that level or to uh, reduce people's freedoms on, on, a, on any other basis than an opt-in basis. Uh, people should be completely free to decide whether or not they'd be scrutinised to that level, uh, just because we know uh, what a precedent that would set. Uh, once you go down that line, it makes it a lot easier to do it again, and then even easier to do it again. And the second time, it's usually, you know, there's not usually as many questions asked. There's not usually as much concern around it. And the third time, there's even less concern around it. And the precedent that that starts to set is just dangerous over time. It's not something you want. I mean, great, we've got a fine government now, Things change. Ideologies change. Uh, you know, crises change. The people hijack things. I mean, this level of control is something that those in the climate change, those in the climate change alarmist movement would love to see because they would love to start locking people down and controlling their lives to reduce carbon, carbon emissions. This stuff can go places quickly before you, you know, without, before, before you've got your handle on it. Uh, and so I think that, uh, you know, to make those sorts of precedents is a really bad idea. So you might think of the app as your own personal health precaution, and I think that's the way that the government is promoting that, so that there's a instant access to people who you may have come into contact who have been infected with COVID-19. Another quick issue before we move on from here, of course, uh, Amazon is where the daughter is going, the data is going to be stored offshore. Uh, any thoughts about that? I mean, I think the good thing is, I think the government is saying, well, this is uh, put at arm's length from any Australian uh, politician or people who might want to use that data for a bad purpose. Uh, but then it's still going to be stored. I mean, even though we say that you can uh, delete the data and delete the app at any time, surely someone somewhere is storing all of the data that's gleaned from the app uh, in a place where in the future, who knows what could happen to it. So what are your thoughts about the storage of that data offshore? I think um, it's it's the most secure way to do it. Uh, a group like Amazon have uh, some of the best data security that there is. Uh, and many, many organizations in Australia, in fact, people, people's banks and all sorts would use uh, Amazon servers uh, for a lot of what they do. That, that's not unusual. It's, they're the best in the business. However, you're right, Neil. I mean, once data is recorded, uh, you know, they say, we'll delete the data. I go, well, is data ever really deleted? <laughs> you know, uh, the answer is possibly not. Uh, and 
Uh, data is also very, very, very valuable. Uh, people pay huge amounts of money for, for this kind of stuff, and they really, really want it, particularly people in, in commerce, particularly social media giants, particularly... I mean, even people like Ace, yeah, we're always looking for more data, but we do it in you know, really transparent ways, and we make sure that people are, are never duped into, into giving us anything. We're always very, very clear about our intentions and we only allow, only um, take data that people voluntarily give to us and fully know they're giving it to us. But not everyone's quite as uh, above board as that. You know, people, because data's valuable. And so that is something that just, you know, it goes around the back of my mind. But the truth is um, companies and, and various um, uh, corporations around the world have more data on us than I think we would like to uh, like to uh, uh, confront. Uh, it's already true that so much is known about us, um, about our you know our, our phone use, our, our locations, uh, our uh, you know all sorts. But the difference being, a lot of these are commercial entities who are tracking you for market. We're not tracking you, but picking up data about you for marketing purposes and advertising and uh, and consulting services and all this kind of stuff to find out how the public behave and what things they like to buy and what time they get out of bed and all this sort of thing. All that sort of stuff is something that commercial entities like to look at because they like to get an understanding of people so that they can market to people. Uh, that's the main way in which it's used. It's different when it's government. That's why I'm a little cautious, more cautious than usual about this because I don't like governments having that information. But you're right, Neil, uh, there is always a risk. Uh, I'd say it's very secure in Amazon, but once the data is recorded, it's recorded and you want to make sure that it's, the protocols for deletion are actually... Uh, pretty serious and that's probably some questions that could still be asked of the government you know how do you intend to make sure that the data is definitely gone well i think i'm hearing from you a similar position to what we started talking about last week and that is that you're not necessarily taking a position on this some people's conscience uh, will say no i ought not to download that app others will say in the interests of health and safety i'm going to download the app and i think uh, that the idea of being well informed before you make that decision is going to be a significant thing. So, uh, so I imagine from what I'm hearing from you, you're not about to download the app, Martin. Uh, but it, correct me if I'm uh, if I'm getting the wrong assumption here. Uh, but you're actually saying that if you feel to download the app, then there's nothing necessarily wrong with that because, as you say, there's not a nefarious motive here that's coming from our government leaders, but you just never know what might happen down the track. Just uh, So is that fairly fairly close to where we, we're settling here? I think so, yes. Uh, you know, I wouldn't tell someone to download it or not to download it, um, but, I, and I, but I, I'm happy about the way the government's trimmed this down and given assurances and done a lot of good things just to make, you know, to allay fears and concerns. And uh, I don't think it's a dangerous thing, uh, but I think if it went any further it could be a really bad precedent for the future. So that's my view. I think it's up to individuals whether or not they download it. The truth is the average 18-year-old who's all over the various social media platforms, who has a, a smartphone that's chock-a-block with apps, and they've given all the apps their, their permissions. To, you know, an average 18-year-old, so much data is known about them. It's, it's insane. I mean, they know when they turn their heater on at night, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's all sorts, there's that, there's that to take into account, which is that so much is already known about some of us. But there are those who are data, who are very conscious about privacy and have, you know, gone to lengths to be cautious about this sort of thing and don't have all of that technology, which is looking at them and watching them all the time. And I think that if they say, well, hey, I want to stay this way and I've chosen to be this way, that's fine. I think that that person should never be required to download the app. Definitely not. 
Okay, let's move on. A related issue, though. Uh, let's talk some politics for a few moments here. Uh, Labor MP for the New South Wales Bellwether seat of Eden Monero, Mike Kelly, may resign for health reasons, uh, triggering a by-election. Uh, that's interesting when it comes to COVID-19 and some of the challenges there with regards to elections. Yes, it is. Uh, there's actually some, two other interesting things about this. The by-election would be in Eden Monero, which is in the classic bellwether seat for a very long time. So whoever wins government has won that seat since, you know, since nearly the beginning of the seat. Until this particular election, when a Labor MP won it, even though the coalition won government. So that's quite unusual. Um, the other thing is that the person that they would like to put into that seat, if Mike Kelly retires, the person they'd like to jettison into it and get them into the federal parliament is John Barillaro. John Barillaro is the Deputy Premier of New South Wales at the moment, Nationals. John is, um, well, he was a key proponent of or key supporter of the abortion legislation, the abortion to birth stuff that went through in New South Wales recently. Um, we've polled his electorate and I think something like 30 to 40% of people said that they'd be less likely to vote for him on that basis because there's a lot of people who are more conservatively minded, lots of Christians, lots of pro-life people in Eden Monero. Uh, and I think this is a huge problem um, that you've got this guy, they're wanting to bump him up to a more senior position in the federal parliament when he has presided over one of the most, well, actually the most left-wing nationals uh, party in Australia's history who have pushed on everything from their advocates for same-sex marriage and tried to get laws through in New South Wales before that came through. They've been uh, key architects of... Uh, a lot of this gender stuff in schools before there was a pushback on it. And the uh, Minister for Education was a national, Adrian Piccoli. He pushed that really, really hard, safe schools and all the rest of it, and refused to do anything about it. Trevor Khan, the national in the upper house in New South Wales now, is pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing on euthanasia and a host of social engineering, not to mention the worst abortion laws in the world. This is John Barillaro. He calls himself a Christian, but this is his policy position. This is what he's been presiding over, and he was a key supporter of Gladys Berejiklian in pushing this through. So that's a huge problem, and I've got my eye on that because I'm thinking, interesting, it may be an opportunity to expose what's going on uh, with John Barillaro and the New South Wales Nationals, and perhaps there's a campaign to be had there by Christians in that seat to raise the alarm on him. I mean, it wouldn't cause the government to lose... Uh, to, to, to lose power if he didn't get that seat. Um, they're already in power, but it may send a pro-life message. Uh, that's something really to watch carefully. Well, getting the message to all parties that pro-abortion will affect your chances of being elected because I'm just aware too that even as you have with the Australian Christian Lobby, now a standing army of people who are ready to knock on doors and drop flyers into letterboxes. You've got a gathering, as I call it, a standing army of people who are ready to campaign, especially when it comes to those who might have pro-abortion uh, or just uh, those sorts of positions on a whole lot of different ethical issues. And, and so a significant thing. Hey, we've run out of time. Let me point people to the Australian Christian Lobby website, acl.org.au. Martin Isles is the Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin, thanks so much. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.